just a quick note from your friendly sea hags. Uh, That's us. <laughs> this is the book club episode. It's just kind of funny because we were airing some things out of order um, when we first recorded it. We're like, oh, we'll just do this one for fun. And it'll be fine. It's just a standalone episode. And then we reference it in every other episode afterwards. Book club was a big thing for us, apparently. I don't know. So we should probably do another one. But this one is basically from, like, the beginning of 2016. And I honestly think it was before January. I think we did it in, like, November or December. No, it wasn't. Because oh, I've already listened to it dates. today. I'm an asshole. Sorry. <laughs> don't correct me. Fuck. <laughs> okay, boss. <laughs> anyway, we hope you enjoy it. And if there's any books that you like, please send us your recommendations to uh, podcast at gmail.com Seahags mailbag. Yeah. Any like formative books or anything. Anyway, we just wanted to say that this is the book club episode that we've talked about a lot. Yes. Okay. Okay. Enjoy. Down by the shore where the mountains meet the sea In a clapboard shack by a broken tree There's a light in the window Just soft to gals inside I'm not sure if they're witches But you know that's implied Got the storytelling, ego swelling Pillow talking, moonlight walking Sea hags Welcome back to the Sea hags podcast My name is Katie Nordgren And I am Chris Jeppa And we are broadcasting live Not at all live We're recording not live From our Sea hags shack Well, I'm alive, you're alive oh, unless, We're alive Unless you're a ghost I'm a beautiful ghost. <laughs> Semi-live from the Sea Hags Shack <laughs> down in East Vancouver. Down by the sea in a little shanty shack. We are solo today. We kind of had a break. We're not releasing these in any particular chronological order, but the day that we're recording this is after New Year's. Mm-hmm. So welcome to 2016. You've already been in it. I hope it's going well for you. Um, we missed each other. Yeah. And so we decided to just have a... Hang out without yep. guests. So this is like kind of weird. We're in the middle of the afternoon. And on a Wednesday. On a Wednesday. Uh, we just both didn't have to be at work today. So instead we're Here creating we content. Yes, content creating. It's funny that you would say creating content because I was in a, not a funk today. Just, uh, I guess now we're checking in. Oh, let's sure. just check right in. And uh, yeah, I, I've just been kind of like walking through a fog today and thinking, Oh, I'm not doing enough with my life. I feel like, you know, I'm watching everybody doing their new year, new me posts on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And I just don't have any ambition right now. Like all of my motivation has left me while everybody else is really jacked up on stuff. I'm like, I worked really hard in October, November, December. And now I'm lazy. <laughs> I think that's fine. Yeah. Honestly, like I don't feel like New Year's is that much of a new, like fresh start for me at all because it's so, it's just fuck fuck in the middle of winter. I was going to say sort of smack dab in the middle just of winter. fuck in the middle of winter. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Way to keep warm. But it's like, it's still cold. It's still gross. Like, mm-hmm. my time that I celebrate New Year's is either like spring, but it's usually September when it's like, this is when I'm going to start a new project or do a brand new thing. And oh, that's that's so, kind of when we can You're such a schoolio. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel that way too, actually, because like my, because I work at a university, my life is so regimented mm-hmm. by the trimester semester system. So September know. always is like, there's new faces and new people. And, and it just kind of feels like you play all summer and like, don't really do a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. And then in September, it's like, okay, now it's time to get down to back actual to the, business. Back to work. But you still have like enough vitamin D in your body that you have the energy to do that. Exactly. Because yeah. like over the Christmas break, I just did sweet fuck all. Like I was so sedentary that I threw my back you out. fuck sweets all. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like the guy from Bones. <laughs> what? 
There's a character named Sweets on Bones. Oh, no, I meant, like, food. Like, oh. like I was, like, I was going to say mouth-fucking myself with shortbread. <laughs> it was really good shortbread. <laughs> yeah, some, some great bad decisions over the holidays, you know, mm. too much booze, too much food, too much sitting. Right, it just feels like it's not really a time to, like, okay, let's start a new project. It's mm. more like, let's continue with the things that we were already doing before we took a break. Totally. So I had to, like, go through my own list of things that I was going to try to do in the new year, none of which are, like, you know, lose weight or run a marathon or anything like that, she but just, like, be... a list of things. And so, What is that sound? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, Sunny came home with a list of oh, things. Oh, yeah, Sunny came with a list of names. Oh, not a list of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. sorry, you were Sean saying Coleman? that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, so I, I woke up this morning and I just sat on my computer for, like, I didn't sit on it, I sat looking at it for two and a half or three hours or something, and I'm like, this is a waste of a day off, Katie. What are you doing? You have to do something. You've got to be creative. Completely ignoring the fact that I was going to come and podcast with you mm-hmm. today. And that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter that nobody else necessarily respects it as a thing. It's still a thing that yeah. we're doing. This whole thing is just to get your wheels turning mm-hmm. um, in terms of your writing, my own writing. Sure. So we kind of wanted to spend today without a guest mm-hmm. talking about some more personal stuff. Yeah. Um, some of our I guess, inspirations for our own creativity, sure. and that is books. We're nerds. Yeah, Seahag's Book Club, C-Hags. edition one. Absolutely. I think this may become a recurring thing, with any hope, because yeah. God knows we're constantly recommending books to each other, and you know, messaging furiously about erotic parts in various novels. <laughs> well, how this idea sort of came about for today was because Katie has gotten me hooked on some books that she was really into when she was younger. Not that much younger, actually. (laughs) It was my mom tried to get me to read them from the age of... Sorry, my hand was in front of my mouth. You're covering your mouth. That's bad (laughs) bad podcast form. Um, I was making a mustache with my finger. Uh, My mom started to try to get me to read these books by Jean M. Owl called Clan of the Cave Bear, or the Earth's Children series. She was trying to get me to read them for years, and I think it was just adolescent angst or something that was saying, like, no, nothing my mom likes could be cool. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Brenda. Um, <laughs> but I finally started reading them when I was like 23 or 24, I oh, think. Like and it. I just plowed through them. Yeah, just like, like John Delar plowed through Ayla's <laughs> Lady Cave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, yeah, if you haven't read these books but you want to, then maybe you want to skip ahead a little bit. This is just a general spoiler alert for a book series that's been out for 35 years. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, but I had never read them before, and I just heard Katie talking about hilariously that she'd reread these books almost once a year or yeah I'm like still kind of on that uh, I'm still sort of on that rereading schedule which is odd because I, can't, I have trouble rewatching movies a lot of the time but rereading books I seem to forget just enough over the course of a year that when I pick it up again it's all ooh I forgot about this part <laughs> which is all like you know sex and <laughs> magic and stuff yeah so it's like a pretty erotic like caveman prehistoric kind of we call them the caveman sex books yeah. It's, yeah. It's basically it. So the first one, you know, it's more to do with looking at Neanderthal type people, and then the next few are like, is it Neolithic uh, humans or something? Paleolithic? Like? Paleolithic? I think weird ne- Neolithic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the uh, the premise of the whole series is basically that a, they call her Cro-Magnon, 
because it's that's how that, that's like how old the series is. Is they're still, oh. but they're Homo sapiens sapiens, like human right. beings, Mo- anatomically modern humans is what a, a anthropologist might say. Yeah, anatomically uh, modern. Yeah, very modern. Hey, <laughs> wait, what? Um, anyway, this is little girl Ayla. She's five years old. She gets separated from her family in a massive earthquake, and uh, they presumably get swallowed up by the earth. And she's found by a group of uh, transient Neanderthals who pick her up and raise her as their own for the duration of the first book. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool because it's like exploring a whole different culture. um, Of human type. Of human type. And then the author like goes really into detail for, you know, whatever her research is based on. I don't know anything about this author, but like she maybe hypothesizes or makes up in her own fiction. Or maybe there's some research behind it about how their brains are completely different and the Mm -hmm. way that they access memory is really different and genetic memory and epigenetic type stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then the difference between this young human girl and these Neanderthals, like mm-hmm. she, like her brain can adapt to a lot more things and she can adapt to other situations whereas they cannot. And so she's kind of a outlier yeah, so in they, their society. They get, they end up, the Neanderthal folks are really, really set in their ways of doing things and anything outside of that is like a massive taboo. And there's this little blonde kid in here that she's, the way they describe her, she's very beautiful according to our like homo sapiens It's kind of funny like how much detail she goes into like oh she was tall and very thin and with like beautiful blue eyes and blonde hair and she was just the ugliest person there because she didn't look like a Neanderthal She's never gonna get mated to somebody because she's too tall and skinny and creepy ghost looking (laughs) (laughs) or something she's not beautiful and squat and barrel chested like these with giant noses and big occipital lobes. And no chins. And no chins. Yeah, so they get into a lot of detail, and detail is definitely the thing about this book that we both wound up liking, Mm -hmm. that this author will go through so much detail about all of the plants that are all around, like, the cave area that this clan lives. The type of soil. Like, silty loam. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, in intricate detail, how weapons are made or how food is stored or how hunting is done. And, like, it's such a relaxing, like, it feels like a brain massage when you read it because it's just lists and lists and lists of items and things. Oh, look at all the different species of animal that you can see in this forest. There's a lynx and an otter and a thing and a thing. I don't know why I find that so soothing, but I also like ASMR videos. So I guess that's maybe just like, I like things that put my brain into kind of an almost autopilot receptiveness where I'm just like, oh yes, bring the information forth for I do like it. So, mm-hmm. which, uh, yeah. So I really like the books for the same reason. Yeah. And so much of it is like almost like an apocalypse survival manual too, yeah. which is just like, yep. It feels really cool to read it and sort of put yourself in that place of just like, okay, if I was in this kind of situation, yeah. like I would kill an animal with a slingshot and skin it yeah. and make boots out of its fur. But <laughs> clearly, the, we would do clearly, that. Clearly, uh, but the whole second book is just her mostly like living on her own and just surviving in a cave, which yeah. I really I thought that was the best one. So that was far. my favorite one too. Yeah, where it's just like okay, rugged lady like shedding the conventions of this really strict society, goes and lives on her own, doesn't mm-hmm. give a flying fuck what anyone thinks about her anymore, just starts doing her own thing. Yeah. And I how, think it's pretty cool. How much of our enjoyment of this book is how easy it is to self-insert? Like, how much Ayla is a total Mary Sue character in that she's so fucking good at everything she tries. Yeah. Absolutely everything she does. Like, the one thing she can't do is sing. 
because she's got like a weird gravelly voice, and that's like the only thing. It's like the clumsy girl in a romantic comedy or something. Otherwise, she's like she's great at hunting. She's great at fucking. She's great. At, she's never done it before, but she's really good at it. She's great at cooking. She's the amazing healer. She invents shit. Yeah, she invents a lot of shit. She invents horses. She invented attachment parenting. Yeah, but she invented horses. Oh yeah, that's true. And dom- any kind of domesticated animal, really. Yeah, all domestic animals and. She invented horses. Is really what the point that I'm trying to make here. <laughs> so she's like the first person in ancient history to ride a wild plains horse. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, and then anyone that sees her then in the future thinks that she's totally magic because she has all these like awesome skills. But then it's just like, no, she's just incredibly so competent and, yep. at everything. So yeah, basically, I want to be her. <laughs> Do we just like think so highly of ourselves that we would be exactly the same? Oh yeah, of, yeah. if I was in that situation, I would absolutely adapt and I'd be able to make all those things because I know all of these. <laughs> I've read these books now. I think I can identify like uh, Thorn Thorn Apple or whatever it is, the Datura, the uh, super like opiate painkiller that she gives people and then sets their bones. Oh, it's so fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to reread these books again. So then I read the third one where she was living with a whole bunch of other humans in like a cool like earth lodge that they made out of mammoth tusks and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. Katie said, you know, read the fourth book, but the fifth and the sixth book, uh, give it a miss. Give it, give, <laughs> definitely give the sixth one, yeah, to, to borrow a page from Graham <laughs> Clark's father. Maybe give number six a miss, because I think that there was too much time between all the books and the woman who started writing them just got very old. Is and she still alive? Or? Yeah, I think she's got, like, Alzheimer's or Aww. something like that. And I think her kid helped her write the last one, and it's just, like, the voice is totally different. Right. And it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying that these other books are. It's, like, it's like a good, like, intellectual itch-scratching, kind of, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm watching someone competent, and it's like all the frustrations of my day are melting away. Because she will always prevail in yeah. some way. She's always going to find a way to get out of a mess save the day, that kind of stuff. It's like, it's nice to think, like, when it comes down to it, I am also that capable. I, I'm not as capable as her, but <laughs> I am projecting my own level of capability and thinking, like, I could do lots of these things. I could survive if the world ended. Uh, now I know how to flint nap because the book told me. <laughs> I'm to hunt ptarmigan. <laughs> I just really liked it, and and I was really sad to finish the third book because I thought, you know, I've only got one more to go. Mm-hmm. So instead, I really liked all the people that she was with mm-hmm. and and she and her companion kind of go off and they're going to have their own adventures later. But I'm like, what would happen if you just stayed with all these mammoth hunter people? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a fan fiction writer, but this is definitely a direction that you could go in if you wanted to do some fan fiction, you know, mm-hmm. just expanding on these characters and how they grow up and stuff, but instead I went one step nerdier (laughs) and I opened uh, The Sims 3 and I made every single character (laughs) and I made their little earth lodge and they all live together and they do magic and they tell stories and like basically I made caveman Sims. That one's one's Mammoth and that one's Deegy and that one's... I gave them all the same character names. I tried to dress them up in sort of the way that they described. Yeah. Furry clothes. Wait, not furry clothes. (laughs) They're not furries. They just just hunters. Yeah, it's not weird. But then I decided too. You know, once I made all of them, I'm like, well, they need other people to to get along with in this caveman 
era, so then I started making all kinds of different, like, clans of people to live in this world where I deleted all the modern conveniences. But then because it's The Sims, sometimes random stuff will just happen, so it's like the mailman, like, in a uniform still shows up and delivers mail. <laughs> or, like, if you, like, this one group, they just slept in igloos, but then the, like, school-age children was sleeping outside in the snow in a sleeping bag, and the adults can do it, but the kids couldn't. They got confiscated by child services. Oh, no. Can you imagine fucking, like, Paleolithic child services? But this is, like, it's modern child services, and then, like, there's still other, like, weird rules that the game follows that it's in modern times, so then I'm like, what if all these people are actually, like, in a separatist colony of some kind where it's, like... just, like, the plot of The Village by M. Night Shyamalan? Well, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) If they're, like, totally, totally... Like, a separatist society that's living Paleolithic, and then Hillary said they just took Paleo too far. They took Paleo too far. (laughs) They're doing the whole (laughs) 30,000. So anyway, that's how... Paleo jokes. That's how obsessed I got with that book. Oh, I'm very gratified to, to hear that, because... Uh, it was definitely one of those things where I tried to explain it to other people and they were like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, okay, so there's this girl, right? <laughs> she grows up with Neanderthals. She lives when she's like 13. She had a baby. No big deal. Uh, goes off into the wilderness herself. And- when when we call them the caveman sex books, I think that's what people know them best as because it's like they're super... They're very erotic. Yeah. Like, it's borderline pornographic at times. There's like three to five page descriptions of like ecstatic lovemaking that's like and that's not a word I like to throw around lately but that's that's what it is yeah they call them pleasures with a capital P (laughs) but it's kind of nice because like all the human societies really value sex and they think that it's really important and it's like a gift from mother earth and women are really respected for like their ability to have babies and sort of give life and so like you honor the great earth mother by Mm -hmm. giving orgasms to ladies and it's like this is a society I can get behind yeah (laughs) no great surprise there (laughs) but uh, yeah no the the sex okay full stop the first book any sex that happens in it is pretty much rape so that's not great Uh, but I mean I read it certainly for the first time years ago and so like the impact of it is maybe a little bit less now that I've read it a few times because I'm like okay better things are in store for our heroine at some point and you know she ends up really enjoying that aspect of her life later like uh, her sexuality is something that's kind of uh, regenerated in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I think, in the later books, which is kind of like, it's interesting because it sort of takes the uh, takes Isla away, f- Ayla, I guess, away from a, a narrative that could be not as empowering for her. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm reading too much into that, but uh, but I do like. There's so much fucking <laughs> in the books, and it's just like, and it's just willy nilly everywhere. It's like behind a, a light. Uh, I don't know what skin or something like that where you can just totally like see their silhouette still (laughs) being like reflected pretty erotic I saw a camp at Burning Man like that (sighs) oh my god (laughs) it was no kidding it was it was a group sex tent Ah uh, yes, the group with, sex with diaphanous curtains and spotlights behind it for maximal shadow play. It was oh, very nice to watch and stumble God. upon in the middle of the desert. 
Oh yeah, I went to Burning Man. I hated it. Anyway. Anyhow. (laughs) That was pretty nice. Yeah, you definitely informed my opinion on Burning Man. Thank you for that, by the way. (laughs) So the caveman sex books, now I finally finally got you to read them, and now we can talk back and forth in shorthand about it all the time, about how much we... See, I would like to go to Burning Man if Burning Man was like the clan gatherings or whatever, where everybody just got together and was like, you know, wearing fertility necklaces and painting the bottoms of their feet red to show that they were down to pound. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much like that, except it's in the desert, and so the environment's trying to kill you the whole time. Yeah, and there's also venture capitalists riding around in art cars and, like, using their Facebook money to buy cocaine to snort (laughs) off of, like, perky go-go dancers in the, (laughs) I don't know, the bubble pit. (laughs) Like, Katie, were you there? (laughs) That definitely happened. Yeah. I did really like uh, Dance Dance Immolation, where what? you wear, <laughs> it's like Dance Dance Revolution, but you're wearing a giant flame retardant suit, and if you get the steps wrong, they shoot fire at you. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Fucking Burning Man. <laughs> There's some neat stuff. I went roller skating, too. That was fun. Oh, my God. Is that like the roller derby pit or something? It was just a roller rink. You could just borrow skates and skate around. Anyway, we're getting severely off severely track of off the track. book club. Um, Burning Man Club is a different podcast, yes. and we will not be there. <laughs> but so that was that was my most recent sort of book obsessions, and so it got us kind of thinking about different books and stuff that we were mm-hmm. obsessed with obsessed with when we were younger. Yeah, and specifically like stuff you read purely for pleasure, not to like flesh out a dating profile or make you look interesting or anything like that. Stuff that you just really, truly love. And I don't mean, you know, not necessarily guilty pleasures, because guilt is just such a complex concept, (laughs) but, like, things that maybe, yeah, you're not doing to make yourself look good. You're doing it to make yourself feel good. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, kind of an important distinction between, say, like, powering through David Foster Wallace on the bus versus... Like, I read a lot of books on my uh, on my tablet because, I'm like, I don't want anyone to see the cover of this. It's, it's got a dragon on it or whatever. So, yeah. So, so that's, that's the concept that we're trying to th- kind of paint a picture around today. So when we were both younger, um, we were into more, like, gothy, dark, <laughs> angsty stuff, I think. Oh, sure. Um, so my big thing was definitely Anne Rice books. And You're not alone. I Yeah definitely read a lot of Anne Rice books, and I've tried rereading them. I've, I've bought all of the Interview with the Vampire books, and then given them away, and bought them again, and then given them away, and now I'm trying to get them again. Like, it just, <laughs> I should keep them, but I always think, oh, these weren't actually that good on the second yeah. time around, I'll give them away. And then I just get a real hankering to read them again, and then they're hankering really... for some vampire. then they're really bad, I don't know. You just want them to recap, you want to recapture how they made you feel... Exactly. ...when you were a teenager. Exactly. So that's some of the magic that is sometimes a little bit hard to get back to, but you really, really love those characters... Yeah, and I I really like the series too. Like, and I also the movie hasn't lost any of its zazz for me over the years because I loved it. Uh, I it was one of those movies I watched when I was a little too young to watch it. Mm-hmm. And know? I definitely watched the movie before I read the books, which really yeah. informed the way that I saw all the characters. Yeah. Whereas I read all the books and then I saw Queen of the Damned, and Oof. I was well. I mean, that's a pretty bad movie anyway. Yeah. But they get the character descriptions so utterly incorrect yeah. that it's just painful. Yeah, it's really annoying. It's like if you describe somebody as a tall Norseman with long blonde hair and you have him in the movie as like a balding guy with dark hair, it just... Poor Stuart Townsend. Like, is that who... Oh, no, he was the Lestat guy? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, I guess he kind of... No, I was talking about the Marius character. Oh, right. Because Marius was always my favorite. The, like, old 
Norse man that like turned into like a Roman gentleman and right. I don't know. I loved all of those books. So yeah, I much. liked all of the see because I think everybody knows Interview with the Vampire and maybe the Vampire Lestat because uh, those are like everybody. If you say Lestat, mm-hmm. anybody who ever like wore a velvet coat or. Uh, you know, some frilly cravats or anything like that. Anybody who ever LARPed or... I definitely uh, LARPed a lot. Just gothed out and stuff. They're like, oh, yeah. They just instantly transported back to a younger version of themselves that was, you know, into carrying around a chalice or something. <laughs> and that's really kind of where I was at when I was in my teen years. Like, I mean, we, you know, before we started recording today, we were kind of trying to think, like, almost linearly what really got us into reading as kids. And, you know, it just... Being a dork is a really big part of it and kind of not being able to mm-hmm. fit in socially, which is just so, you know, that's, that's bog standard stuff. Uh, but reading is always there for you. If you are kind of, so you're an only child and I'm an only child. I don't yeah. know if we've ever addressed that on the podcast before. Your brothers might disagree. <laughs> well, I didn't grow up with them, yeah, right? They're my, half, they're my half brothers and they're like almost old enough to be my dad. Yeah. In some, well, they would be not very happy to hear that. But like, <laughs> it's like a 15 and 17 year age totally. difference. So, so it might pretty, as well have been. Yeah. So I grew up like pretty solo and I just read a lot. And, you know, like the greatest thing that ever happened was when the Scholastic Book Fair would come to school or like the book orders. Like I could still smell the paper of the book order little magazine that they give you like, oh, mom, please let me get this. Mom, mom, can I get this? <laughs> It's like, Mom, can I get this book, this book, this book, this book, and the puppies on a skateboard poster, please? <laughs> Always like a calendar or like a sticker book to go with it as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted something just frivolous to go with my book addiction. But there was also, we had a, you didn't have this, but this was such an important part of my childhood was in my elementary school, we had a reading, like a reading achievement program called Book It. And if you read, you know, like ten, five or ten books or something, you would get a pin that said book it on it. And then you would get a certificate for a free personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. <laughs> so that program made me both nerdy and fat. <laughs> <laughs> so I have book it to thank for my whole oh, adult identity, basically. Pizza's so delicious. It's so good. And I would eat a personal pan cheese pizza so hard right now. Yeah. If it was placed in front of me. Great too bad, you know, dreams don't become a reality that, that easily. You know what, though? We're adults now. You can go out and you can buy a slice of delicious cheesy pizza on your way out of here. Oh my god. What a dream. Right? What a dream. So, basically, yeah, all that background info is just books. Like, yeah. like books are our friends. They are our constant companions. I have another story about getting into reading really early. Please. Um, so when I was really little, my uncle would read me Calvin and Hobbes books all the time, so that really overdeveloped my vocabulary as a little kid. So by the time I was in kindergarten, I was saying things to my mom like, you can't make me clean my room. I'm calling my lawyer. Where are we going to litigate this? Like, <laughs> And I read so much. And my mom was happy to encourage that because it's like, oh, reading at like a higher level that I really didn't do much physical activity at all. Mm-hmm. And when I first started kindergarten, I had no fine motor skills really at all. I couldn't tie my shoes I like didn't, I didn't really know how to use my hands because I just read books. And so... Hold your hands in this sort of gentle V position of holding a book open. Basically, like, yeah, just no real uh, dexterity. So I couldn't really write. So I could read way above where my writing level was. Right. And so the whoever at school, teachers or something like that, were like, she needs to do something. So she needs to be in sports or music. And I think everyone in my family for putting me in piano lessons as opposed to sports. Soccer or yeah. something. Because my hatred of sports came much later in life thanks to, you know, PE class with terrible, terrible ogre male gym teachers. Oof. But I still 
I got so much out of the music class. I did keyboarding and I went on to do like all kinds of piano and now I am a professional musician. So it's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I just, I don't think I ever knew that about you before that you didn't, like you couldn't hold a pen when you were in kindergarten. Because no. I, I learned a lot of any kind of skill that you can do on your, this is so sad, on your own, like alone. Mm-hmm. I practiced tying my shoes really hard. So by the time oh. I got to kindergarten, any of the kids who didn't know, like the teacher would just put me in a corner with them in like a frame that had like a canvas shoe tying apparatus on it and she'd be like all right katie teach tom to tie his shoes today teach philip to tie his shoes today and i would like i don't do any of that bunny shit or anything i was just like all right this is how you do it like i became an italian mechanic (laughs) (laughs) over under over under so even at a young age you were very like you were put in a position of sort of instructing nurturing helping yep with extra responsibility Yeah, which actually just you. made them dislike me more. <laughs> yeah. So like, oh, you think you're so big, you know how to tie shoes? <laughs> I just miss Bob now that he's not here. So I got, got to bring a little Bob to the situation. <laughs> Past guest Bob Neubauer. <laughs> it's a very specific way of talking, and we like to imitate it from time to time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, back to Anne Rice, though, mm-hmm. uh, which, which followed very logically from uh, early childhood obsessions with... Um, I think being an anxious kid and stuff made me want to look towards horror and like I really, really would go to the library and take out books that if you looked at the history of what I would take out, um, a child psychologist would be very alarmed. Probably because I took out books on, like, human sexuality, uh, where babies come from, then, like, witchcraft, the Inquisition, (laughs) methods of torture, uh, Malicious Maleficarum, or whatever, the uh, witch hunter, the hammer witches, or whatever. Oh, my God. Like, I fully had books about, like, Iron Maidens and thumbscrews and all that kind of stuff. Do you think, because I really loved witches and still do, and, like, vampire stuff, but it's, like, also from feeling like a powerless kid to just be like, now I have the power to control things. Yeah. And I can do, you know, all the people that are treating me bad will treat me with respect, and I can cast spells on people. And like Very true. I remember really relating to the craft for that as a teenager. Oh, God. Don't even get me me started on the craft. We can have movie club for another day. Because I'm going to have to talk about the relationship specifically between the craft and Now and Then and those two movies together and how, like, because they both came out the same year. They fucking shaped everything that I thought about as, like, a teen girl. Okay, but even younger, though, you were looking up witch and torture stuff. But really, like, really dark stuff. And I was, uh, I I guess it was disturbing to me, but it was also just kind of, like, Honestly, I think at a sort of a cellular level almost, I was thinking about, like, how is it that people can be so cruel to each other? You know, like, mm-hmm. how people can, like, see women doing things they don't like, and so they have to be like, they're witches, and we have to create this big thing to, a like, a huge institution of just killing them, basically, and eradicating any women who think that, like, they can access any of their personal power, that kind of stuff. So that was fascinating to me, and I think because I was such a frightful child, I was scared of every, I was scared of fire alarms. Like, I was just such an easily startleable child. I want to go back in time and hug your baby uh, <laughs> I was such a goon. I love me, but I was pretty easy to pick on. Um, and I think that like that sort of developed from reading about the actual history of these things into other things that were creepy or scary or whatever. Um, and I read Goosebumps like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Thank you, R.L. Stein, for terrifying the world's children for the last 30 years. <laughs> really appreciate your hard work in that. Um, and then the the important sort of designation between reading a Goosebumps book and then reading the next level up, oh my Fear God. Street, like when you graduated from Goosebumps, which were baby town frolics, to uh, yeah, Fear, Fear Street, Street was like serious teenager stuff. And I remember just like you know you would read Seventeen magazine when you were twelve and Cosmo when you were fourteen or yeah. whatever. 
I was reading Fear Street at nine and ten, but it's like, oh, I'm in the big leagues now. Yeah. I'm reading Fear Street. None of this no pictures in here. There's barely even pictures on the front. It's like dime, like grocery store book size. Yeah. Fits in a pocket. Yeah, yeah, I remember really loving those because then they would also like the teens were getting into bad stuff. Yeah, well, like, they did this the Fear Street sagas, yes. sagas, I guess, which were all about like why is Fear Street such a scary place? Like maybe because you fucking named it Fear Street. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like prescriptive, um, but the, it, yeah, it, even that had like w- witch burning undertones because it's like well, the witch put a curse on it because they were burning her and her mm-hmm. daughter and that kind of stuff and right. so so it all really kind of comes back to the witch witches and vampires and uh, and I think that when did I start reading Anne Rice? I think I read my first Anne Rice book when I was probably like thirteen, maybe yeah, thirteen same. or fourteen. And Anne Rice also has the her Amazing Witch series as well with the Mayfair witches that then like they cross yeah. into the vampire books later and I really love those especially the first one talking about like lists and details like it was just genealogy central right like they went back through the history of all of these old families in New Orleans like and how they were influenced by like colonialism mm-hmm. and slavery and things like. Then, like, the witchcraft kind of built into that family, mm-hmm. and then it went on and on and on, and now here are the modern people kind of dealing with that legacy. Right. But the genealogy part really was exciting, and I, like, sat down, like, made family trees, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, because, well, you know, to keep track of all the characters. I love any book that has, like, a map and a family tree oh, or, yeah. like, a list of characters in the front. I will constantly be referring back to I'm that. I'm writing that down because that relates to something I want to talk about later. <laughs> uh yeah, okay, because I, I, I'm totally, I love an epic. Yes. I really do, and whether that's, like, in one book or multiple books, um, but I think, so the Goosebumps and Fear Street books, it's interesting to look back on that now because I don't look for horror anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm really not somebody who reads, oh, I could read horror much more easily than I would watch it. I cannot watch horror movies anymore. I can't at all, yeah. which is, makes me feel like such a weenus. <laughs> but, because I, I'm just never that into horror films in anyway because I'm just like I'm very sensitive and I project myself like I, I'm so I absorb people's pain when they're going through it and I see somebody that's really snotty but you know what I mean right like I'm, I'm too sympathetic I'm like oh I feel everything you're feeling and I'm so scared for you even yeah. though this is all made up yeah. and stuff but I remember like trying to watch horror films with like my content like my peers as a kid like we're at sleepovers like we're gonna watch this really scary movie I'm like great with my hands over my eyes like looking through this tiny slit <laughs> in my fingers and just going like oh, I should call my mom to come pick me up because I'm too scared to sleep. Because <laughs> the washing machine tried to murder people. Oh no! The Mangler. Oh, dear God, it's a real, it's a real <laughs> film. I think it might be a Stephen King. Yeah. Oh, I read so many Stephen King books as well. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and I both would share reading Stephen King books all the time. That was like yet another step up. Why? Why did we like that stuff so much when yeah. we were younger and not now? Like yeah. now, I'm really just I'm not into anything that has to do with a lot of human cruelty or fear. I, I or think like, that might be it. Like the human cruelty angle. Also, we were talking to about like the way that the actual writing is done. I'm a lot sure. more critical of, which is kind of, again, maybe sounds snooty, but like I read a Stephen King book and I'm like, dear God, like he basically has like a formula and other people just fill in the blanks. And like this plot doesn't actually really make sense, even though it's supposed to be like in a weird alternate main universe, you know? Yeah. And you're supposed to be able to suspend your disbelief and realize that all these fantastical things are happening, but I just cannot with some of the plot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I think I'm a lot more critical about that kind of writing in horror, yeah. and, and because I think so many horror and um, like dark kind of gothic books are so prolific, like a lot of these mm-hmm. authors are super prolific, that 
the quality of the writing just sort of gets watered down a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's true, and I, 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 I can't really speak for Stephen King too much, because I only read, like, three or four of his books, and none of them were the really horror-based mm-hmm. ones. Like, I've, I read... Uh, my favorite one that he did was The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Did you ever read that? No. It's about a girl who gets lost in the woods. I don't remember it that well. I knew she was obsessed with baseball. She got lost in the woods. It was a creepy story, but it wasn't a horror story. So, so when he branches out, I think he's quite a good writer. And he's obviously so active and so prolific, and he's just never stopped. And I respect the fact that he just keeps doing his work. Mm-hmm. You know, you can rely on Stephen King to pump out books constantly, even, even after, after he, like, got hit by a huge car yeah. or whatever. So, but good on okay. Stephen King, if you're listening, which you are not. Good on you. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Way to rock those square glasses for a super long time. Yeah, now they're super trendy. He yeah. was ahead you of waited his for time. it to come back, and it did. <laughs> you got you play in the long game, Stephen King. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> um, but so with uh, like coming from Anne Rice and Goosebumps and Fear Street, mm-hmm. um, how did that inform any other kinds of? ways that you behaved or creative pursuits in your teenagerhood like oh god when I was I'm such a teen goth yeah so me too we were such teen goths and you know you mentioned LARPing I did LARPing you did Vampire the Masquerade Vampire the Masquerade yeah. LARPing I remember you because I met you when you, we were 18 or so right yeah. and this was just after you moved here from Gibson's pretty much mm-hmm. And you told me about how you used to make uh, vampire fangs out of, like, artificial, like, Lee press-on nails. You'd file them down and just, like, stick them on with Mentadent or whatever. Yeah, that's my secret. I do it every year for Halloween to this day. And just pop them on there and you're like, "Mm, I'm very sexy They're amazing. And you you were super, like, super sexy teen, may I say, and super sexy adult lady as well. (laughs) Thank you. But you, like, really rocked the corset and the ringlets and the teeth and, like... (sighs) I ran into a friend of mine um, who we, I used to LARP with, and I asked him, like, can you please can you please confirm that we actually did this? Because I think that I might just be making this memory up. <laughs> right? Cause so you weren't you actually kind of LARPing? That. No, but this particular one, and I described the scenario, and he's like, yes, we did that. So we went into Vancouver to Zizani, which is, it was a little hole-in-the-wall French restaurant on 7th near Granville Street, (laughs) and they spoke French there. It was, like, right in that little um, French-Canadian, like, francophone community there, right on 7th Avenue. Um, There's a theater and restaurants, and this little cafe was there, and they did not card you. So at 16, we were able to go in and order booze. Nice. And, but we were playing the vampire game, so we dressed up super dark and, like, gothy with our vampire fangs in. We went to this restaurant, ordered in French, because we were taking French class in school, and, like, Lestat. And we ordered a glass of red wine. Ma chérie. We ordered a glass of red wine each, and we just left it on the table for the whole night. And when the waitress would come, oh, can I get you another glass of wine? Oh, no, we're fine, thank you. Just that glass of red wine, didn't touch it at all, talked for three hours, and then left and left with the glass of wine on the table and flashed a fang at her. As we left. Oh. And I was my like. my God. <laughs> wow. And I was like, did I make that up? Because that sounds so. Contrived? Well, yeah, it absolutely <laughs> was contrived. That was the point. Oh, my and, God. And no, Steve was just like, yeah, we did that. It was really fun. It must have been expensive to not consume any of the things. Just one glass of wine Oh, you each? didn't order food, no, food no, I no. guess, because you weren't going to eat it. No, just one glass of wine only. Wow. Yeah. 
That's like one. That's like three to five goth steps up from being the goth kids who just order coffee at Denny's at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. Yeah, but we basically were there in character. That's adorable. Yeah. So it was like kind of romantic LARPing. It was really, romantic LARPing. It was really fun. Take <laughs> so your like, sweetie. Our characters went on a vampire date. That's adorable. I absolutely And I didn't love make that. it up, and I'm really happy to find out that I like he remembers it just the same way that I do. That's an incredible memory. I uh, I don't know if I ever did that. I definitely have <laughs> dressed up as a vampire for a lot of events. Um, I was super into Buffy, obviously, because oh it was the gosh. 90s yeah. like, and to early 2000s. Yeah. And I always liked Drusilla more. Yeah. Than, but it's like, the Slayer kills... I, I eventually wound up loving Buffy so much, yeah. obviously, and all the characters in their own way except Xander. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but Drusilla was always my favorite because just the tragic, beautiful, like unhinged, wonderful total nut bar. I just loved her so much. Yeah, me too. I, well, I love Spike, and I guess I don't really now. But like, if I go retrospectively, but I was obsessed with him. Mm-hmm. He's just such a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out he's a lot shorter than me, and also way older than he looks. <laughs> and then he married somebody who was like younger than us. That's been happening too much lately. Yeah, where it's like guys that we crush on super, super hard in our like mid to late teens and thought like, oh, I'd love to lose my virginity to him or something like, like that. Like, for example, Anthony Kiedis from and- the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but it's like, oh, he's like 20 years older than me. He would never see me. And now he has a baby with someone who's 20 right now. Yeah. Ugh. 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 Anthony uh, Kiedis. Who, did, who else did you find out that... Oh, like Billy Corgan. Oh, right. Billy Corgan, which we, yeah, that he has like a 20, he impregnated a 22-year-old girl this year, her last year, I guess. And uh, I was just super shocked because like the girl that he impregnated is younger than the child of Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Who is now 23 or something like, like Francis Bean Cobain is 23. Billy Corgan impregnated someone who is younger than his contemporary's daughter. Yeah. It just, it, it sits weird. And I mean, do what you want, live your life. I yeah, guess, let me but... playfully judge it on my podcast that has no listeners. Oh yeah, exactly. But it's just like it just feels weird that I remember feeling so much like angst as a teen, being like, "Oh, they're just too old for me." What would they even think of like a dumb teenage girl like me? They'd fuck you. Yeah, they'd put their dicks in you <laughs> or on you. Well, I'm prob- near you. I'm probably pretty glad that it didn't happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, having like. I haven't met that many famous people, but I've, I feel like I've, I've met enough people who have to go like, oh, I'm probably fine. Like, yeah. I don't need to sleep with a famous person to feel good about myself <laughs> or validated. Or, uh, like, I can crush on lots of people that I don't ever sleep with. <laughs> it's probably for the best because then, you know, five years later you have some hindsight and you're like, yeah. <laughs> like a full body shudder <laughs> that lasts a week. Did you have crushes on characters in books? Of course I did. Bring it back to book club? Yeah, let's bring it back to book club. I mean, like, all the vampires, obviously. Yeah. Like, I just thought Lestat would be super cool, because I just, like... I saw a really funny post the other day where it's, like, uh, basically the premise of a vampire is trying to, like, erotically frighten you mm-hmm. by saying, you know I could kill you if I wanted. Like, big deal, fucking vampire. So could anybody. Literally anybody could kill me. A baby could kill me if they got their hands on a gun. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> It's not impressive, vampire. Like, a dog behind the wheel of a car that, like, pops the uh, e-brake off could kill me. Like, (laughs) my brain could kill me. Like, yeah, totally. You're not special, vampire. But, like, I've read so much. I remember, like, as soon as I got into, 
like really reading vampire books and then you get into reading like why do we love vampire books mm-hmm. so much and there's so much like eroticism about like there's like an age thing where it's like yeah. he's so much older it's always he's so much older mm-hmm. and she's like a young yeah. girl to kind of bring it back to what we were just talking about I think about. Anne Rice definitely um, fucked with that a bit she did she, like, and that's what's some, great like, there's a lot of the vampire tropes from like classic vampire Lestat stories Sire is a much older woman if I'm not mistaken no, no? or no she, he okay no I haven't read the book in a while yeah there's an older lady who factors in at he some point. He makes his mom into a vampire. That was And it. he's just like, Mom, now we're both vampires. Won't you love me? And she's like, bye, I'm going to explore the jungle now forever. <laughs> See you Hell never. <laughs> See you never. Bye. Aw, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, dick mom. Yeah. But yeah, Anne Rice really fucked with a lot of those conventions mm-hmm. and regular... So that's why Anne Rice still, to me, remains like my favorite vampire stories. Mm-hmm. Because she really... Like, she has some really cool different protagonists in all the different books and, like, interesting relationships between all of them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, some of them are older or younger from different eras of history and they have to interact so differently with each other is, like, very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I really should try reading those books again, even just to see if I still think they're annoying, because I might have been enough time where I'm just, like, nostalgic for them again. They're pretty annoying, though. They're pretty annoying. I'm just trying to think, like, are there any other books where I've kind of, like, fallen for a character? Like, I tend to be a bit more visual, maybe, these days, like, that I get crushes on the portrayals of certain characters, like, in TV or films or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, if they take a book that I loved and then, like, put people out there as, like... Like, I never thought anything about Harry Potter. Hey, that would be gross, because, you know, he's a kid in the books, and I'm much older than that. But, like, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, hot tamale. Yeah. <laughs> a hot little mini tamale. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I did you have crushes? Like, I'm trying to... Uh, besides just the vampires. Yeah. I'm trying to think of if there's any, because I definitely don't have a boner for John Delar from... Uh, <laughs> Clan of the Cave Clan of the Cave No, he's Despite bit- that he's real good at sex. Apparently has a huge dick. Apparently has a huge dick. Not like, so huge that they have to describe it so much that some women are really frightened when they okay, see I just it. Watched, I just watched um, uh, that Amy Schumer movie last night, Trainwreck, oh. and just it starts with her having a sexual encounter with some guy who takes off his pants. She's like, ah, is that your dick? <laughs> it doesn't end. It's too big. Oh, no. It's so Your dick doesn't end. It's got an elbow. Like, <laughs> Not as appealing as, you know, pornography would have you think. Yeah, totally. Dick that's too big. You're just like, get that out of here. Yeah. That. The book really goes into detail about how big his dick is yep. and how big Isla's vagina is that it can accommodate it. Yeah, it's like a it's like a docking procedure for spaceships or something. I'm making a gesture no one can see but you. It's pretty graphic. It's pretty ooh, it's pretty graphic. But it's, yeah, it's kind of gross. That, that, the focus on the shape and size of their genitals fitting together is yeah. kind of gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a very detailed book. It's you so detailed. Um, yeah, I'm trying but to think. But yeah, of, like, in terms of, like, other characters that I really, I guess, romanticized even. Mm-hmm. I think it's, like, I really was way more into, like, any female protagonist to do the, like, self-insert thing. And then yeah. I realized I was bisexual, so then self-insert became a whole different thing <laughs> a whole new well. ball game. And, like, once I really realized how much I was attracted to women as much as I wanted to be those characters, it was really, like, this eureka moment of, like, oh, I like all of this. I'm actually pretty hot for Ayla after she is an adult in mm-hmm. the book series. Like, yeah. not so much when she's a kid, but then I'm like, oh, she's so capable. She could just, like, she doesn't need me at all. <laughs> That's really appealing to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind being needed, but it's nice when somebody's, like, just so... They got their shit together so much, and you're just kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's a lot to be said for that kind of, like, that sort of fling or romance. Totally. And that's the same with, like, any of the witch characters, where it's like, they could destroy me. But they won't. But they won't. <laughs> I could kill you right now, Oh, you know? no, but you know what I mean. 
Wow, I could put a curse on you. I'm like, okay, that's impressive. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a dog couldn't do that. Unless it was a witch dog. <laughs> um, so what about um, epics that you really like? So in terms okay. of, do you want to switch to talking about books that we're really into now these yeah, days? Yeah, I think, well, I think we, we got to have to because I was pretty, um, I was fairly narrow in my view of things. Like the only thing that really kind of is pursuant to any of the other stuff that we were saying earlier is just like the interest in survivalism and detail. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite childhood books ever, and I know that this one's a bit of a, um, I guess it's a mixed opinions about it because it's on a lot of reading lists, especially in Canadian schools. But Gary Paulson's book Hatchet is one of my oh. favorite books of all time, and I've I re- it, I reread it as an adult, and it really held up for me. And I think a lot of people just like. I went on Goodreads to see, like, what people had to say about it, and a lot of people were like, best book ever, a lot of people like, fucking hated having to read this in my English class in grade eight, screw you, Mr. Brown, or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's like, you just hated being in school more than you, you hated, hated this book. school, but I, I never had, I was, nobody ever forced me to read that book, and it's just like, it's about this kid who's, like, off to visit his divorced dad for the first time after his parents split up, and he's, like, in a Cessna flying over the Canadian wilderness, and then the pilot has a heart attack. And the the kid, like, takes the plane into a controlled dive into, like, a lake, but it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. And the plane sinks, and he just, like, gets out of the plane, and all he has is, is like, this hatchet that his mom gave him oh. on a belt loop. And uh, so he, like, has to live... He lives in the wilderness for, like, th- two to three months by himself, like, with just his hatchet to get him by. And so he, like, learns to make fire with the hatchet, how to make, like, a fish spear with the hatchet, how to, like, defend himself against a porcupine. A porcupine. And, like, bears and fire and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just, he just survives. And he's so, like, he doesn't know what he's doing, but he figures it out. Mm. And it's just that, like, raw survival instinct is so appealing to me. And I think that's what I really liked about that book is that it's just, like, he figures it out. He figures out how to get food. He, like, figures out what is not good food in a pretty grotesque scene. Oh, God. Like, he eats bad berries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just his whole life comes out of him basically <laughs> so yeah no that's a gr- it's a great book cool um and it's real short it's like 120 pages or something like I that if you want to borrow it i will loan it to you sure let great. me borrow that book let me borrow that fucking book you're not even reading it so it's like so it really in the same line as the um as the clan of the cave bear books in that way so just moving on from that uh, that was the last like sort of childhood book that i uh, or teenhood book that i really Mm-hmm. remember all that clearly um, but epic books uh, as you mentioned you said earlier that you love a book that's got a genealogy and a map on right. it right except like I never got into Lord of the Rings I never really cared for any of that stuff so like their maps and their journeys like I'm sure thinking I'm sure about they're it, fascinating yeah well with that kind of lens maybe like I could read I could read them or something like that but mm-hmm. there's like the whole um, Cushiel's Avatar and Cushiel's Justice those. that's very much like it's an alternate universe of the world like of Europe more or less okay. and the way that they name all of the different places in this world are like other names for like France and Italy and Britain like they call Britain Alba which is like an older name for it you know okay. and they call Venice La Serenissima right mm. which is another nickname for it like the serene place so they just basically mm. it's like you were on Earth, but in sort of an alternate timeline, and it's epic, epic journeys, traveling all over to, like, rescue people and all this kind of stuff. So I really like that, and I'd look at the map constantly and try right. to figure out... Where are they? Yeah, where are they? And, like, what is this supposed to be analogous of? You mm. know, where it's like, wait, where did they go? Oh, they're in Egypt now. Oh, cool, I get it. Yeah. You know, and trying to figure out those puzzles I thought was really cool. Well, it's like with the... And kind of the Cave Bear series, they have the uh, they have the map, and then, mm-hmm. like, you kind of... There's a huge of, glacier over top, so you can't tell yeah, sort of where they Yeah, because it's the last... The Holocene, I guess, or... No, we're... I don't... I have. It's been a while since I took a geology class. Yeah, so, I don't uh, know shit about glaciers. <laughs> but uh, no, they're they're walking across like 
the Mongolian steppe and stuff. Like they're going through Russia or like they start in Hungary or something and they have to go to France. Mm-hmm. And so that this is like a year or two year long journey for them on foot, right? Because yep. they have to traverse the glacier and all that stuff. So it's very, it's, and I would look at the map and I'd try to figure out where are they? Like, are they close to, like, are they in the Czech Republic now or yeah. something like that? These places that don't exist yet. Yeah. And, and that was really interesting. But so the epic series, or not even series, but, uh, I read what I call dad lit a lot because my dad made me read it. <laughs> um, and both of my parents have like, bit, just, they just throw books at me cause they know I like them and that I can read really quickly. And so my dad's had me start reading this, um, this series by Ken Follett that has to do is such a dad book. And I'll tell you why, what makes it. A oh, dad I've book. read all of these. <laughs> <laughs> what makes a dad book is it's super duper long. It takes dad six months to read them. <laughs> Uh, it has to do with the war, <laughs> usually. Oh, yeah. Or a war. Or a castle. <laughs> Those are the options. Um, so the book that I started reading was the first book in Ken Follett's Century Trilogy. And I don't remember the name of it, but it was something about, like, the winter of the world. Because it's the first book is about World War One, mm-hmm. and, and it's, like, a whole bunch of different families and how they're all affected yeah, by it, right? Yeah, and then the next one, countries. World War Two, and then the Cold War. So it, it's three books that kind of cover almost 100 years together. And, um, God, I was so hooked. And there was such a huge legend of all of the families and mm-hmm. names and all the individual people. And, like, I almost, like, took a pencil and started, like, crossing people off when they would die or, like, change their names or something like that and yeah. be like, this one's gay or something like that if I wanted to remember, like, what their deal was. And... It was very confusing, but I was so enraptured with it. And I don't even know if he's that good of a writer. Like, he writes a really good plot, but if you took, mm-hmm. like, a page out of them and read it out, it wouldn't be any special but prose he or writes anything. on such a large scale that it really is, like, all part of the same huge journey. Like, you don't really yeah. look at the individual yeah. storylines as much, but it's more about how they all fit together. And it's so opposite to how I normally read a book. I, I usually read a book for the characters because I'm interested and invested in the characters. In this case, I certainly cared about them, but there wasn't really anything about them. Like, I didn't know a lot of depth to them, but it was A, the fact that my dad liked it, and just B, it just is so, the plot is constantly turning forward, and you know certain things are going to happen. Like, you know, when they're dining out in Berlin in, like, 1929 or whatever, like, right. shit's about to go down. Like, the Weimar Republic is, is collapsing, and Hitler's going to rise to power in a few years, and this, like, gay nightclub is going to get shuttered, and these guys are going to end up in a camp or something like that, and it's so, like, the tension is so high the whole time. Because you already know... Because you know kind of what's going to happen, but you don't know what's going to happen to the individuals. You know shit's about to go down, cool. but you don't know how things are going to play out for them. And so I think I read the first book, like, I read the first hundred pages of the first book over two or three weeks, mm-hmm. and I read the last... 800 pages of the book in 48 hours. Nice. <laughs> just devoured it. Yeah, I couldn't, I didn't leave the house one day. I, th- I felt myself getting paler and more sickly for, like, not leaving my bed for reading these books. Well, like, that's what I did with Clan of the Cave Bear over Christmas, is I just <laughs> didn't get out of bed. It was amazing. Like, it's just gonna journey with Ayla and John Delar yeah. all day. <laughs> but I also read all the Ken Follett um, Pillars of the Earth books. Ah, I finished the first one recently. And, and that's, like, Dark Ages, Middle Ages type thing, and like cathedral the 12th building, century, yeah, yeah cathedral building, and and talking about like these epic lineages of families where some of them are in the church and some of them are nobles, and then mm-hmm. some of them are like then church you're looking nobles. at peasants and all these different things. That's kind of a neat era of history too. Yeah. That was, and I like what I like about his books is that they kind of always have satisfying endings, like. They're, like the person that you want to get comeuppance doesn't always, but usually, nice in a pretty satisfying way. And I'm like, oh, good, yes. he did. Whereas <laughs> other epics that I really love, I absolutely adored all the Game of Thrones books. To me, that's another one where I follow along. Like all of these 
place names are analogous to places in the world as we know it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the wall is supposed to be, like, Hadrian's Wall, and the rest is, like, Scotland, that wasteland with all the wildlings in it. You know, there's different parts of Britain, different parts of, like, the continent, Basically all of that took the UK and flipped it upside down as the map or something, didn't they? Or yeah, I can't remember more exactly or less. But, did. like, it's pretty, it's all pretty analogous to, like, other places in the world, so I kind of had fun trying to figure that out. Right. I won't talk about Game of Thrones on here, because it's probably been talked to death, and everybody <laughs> knows about it in the show, and the George R. R. Martin's live journal post about how he's just like, I'm trying, you guys, it's hard. Stop being mean to me. <laughs> Which I totally... I'm just an old guy. I couldn't imagine having that kind of scrutiny on my work. And it's just, it's too like bad. every time cause... he tries to take a shit, they're like, why aren't you writing, George? Yeah, he's an old man. Like, just let him be. He's it's a... just too bad that the show is catching up to where the books are. And so that's yeah. never really happened before. Usually, like, TV shows are made over stuff that's already been finished, right? right. So this one's kind of a unique... So weird that that Whatever. show is, has been going on for as long as it has because it just feels like it premiered yesterday to mm -hmm. me. And I tried to watch it in the first season, but it's just like it's the same thing with horror movies. Like I can't watch someone get decapitated more than twice in an episode. I'm good with like okay, I can handle two beheadings in an episode. <laughs> this is why that I I, I can handle. Uh, the Outlander series, which, I mean, w did you ever read the Outlander books? I did read a few of the Outlander Because I read Outlander the first books. one and that's it. I read and the first one, the second one, and then the third one. Basically, like, so whatever, if you've not read the books. Ah, or seen the show. Yeah, basically, she goes back in time, and then there's a part where she goes back to the 40s. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was just like, what? No. If she had just, like, stayed, hey, she's another one that she goes back in time. She's incredibly capable. She's, like, a healer. Yep. Because she's got all this modern knowledge. So God, she I can, love that She shit. can go back oh, in time I and be like... time travel fiction. Yeah, it is good time travel oh, fiction. Good and the, the fact that she, she has all of this modern knowledge about medicine, that she can make herbal yeah. concoctions, and then they think that she's a witch yeah. and try to burn her. This like, kid has epilepsy. Like, what the fuck is epilepsy? That's demons. <laughs> demons. Epilepsy. But, like, she has a really, like, awesome adventures in Scotland in the 1700s or whatever, mm -hmm. but then she, like, goes back, and then she has to confront, like, what's, how long she's been gone, and she's been missing, and all that. I'm like, this is sad. Like, people were worried about her, and then, yeah. but then she goes back again to another period of, I'm like, you are losing the plot, Diana Galvedon. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Stick with what you know. Yeah, I kind of gave up on that. It's a little well. bit too much back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. That, then it becomes not really a pleasure when you're just like, what the fuck when you're reading? And that definitely, yeah. that's definitely what happened for me in the sixth book of uh, Clan of the Cave Bear is like, this is nothing to do with any of the other books that we read. And this is, you're just gone too far in this other direction. And I mean, mm -hmm. you're a writer, you can do whatever you want, but I'm furious for one. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, am furious. Yeah. So yeah, but I was get what I meant to say was like... Because I can, I can read something that's grotesque and my brain will only fill it in as much as I want it to. Right. And sometimes that's a lot. Sometimes I really, like, want to get down into the discomfort and fear of about, like, like, like me as a little kid taking out all those books about torture. Like, mm -hmm. I want to really, really look on my own terms about, like, human cruelty and suffering and all that kind of stuff. But when a show is doing it and it's just, like, all of these quick slashes and quick cuts and just blood spurting everywhere, it's just, like, there's no tension. It's just gruesome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I do. And I, I think that Outlander doesn't really do that too much. I definitely haven't seen anybody get their head cut. Well, maybe a couple heads cut off. Yeah. But, like, in battle, not, like, 
not just like in a really set up creepy. So you're like, hmm, heads coming off in that show. Hmm. Outlander though did a really grotesque like last or second oh, see, to I last episode. I didn't finish the season. The season because yeah. I because you told me about that. It gets but... grotesque like torture porn rape. Yeah. Like digging hands into open wounds. Oh like, god. Really gross. Yeah, because they show they show so him getting awful. whipped like pretty like basically flayed because it's yeah. a really really brutal whipping and I I I just don't watch the screen when that's yeah. happening because, you know, I'm, I'm a wuss. Yeah, but this, like, one of the last episodes... Should I just skip it? Yeah. Okay, it's you really, wish you hadn't seen it. I really do. I, 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 I read, like fast, I said, I read the book, so... Yeah. I started fast-forwarding parts because, oh, wow. like, normally I'm pretty good. I can watch all of Game of Thrones and it's fine. Hmm. Mostly. Um... But this one was just, it was so, like, they filmed it like, you know, they did a really intimate love scene in that show. They yeah. filmed, like, the rape torture part like a, a love sim- scene. Oh, God. Like, with so really intimate close-ups. And it was awful. Yeah. It was can, really awful. Can I just, like, Tobias Menzies, hats off to you because you are the scariest motherfucker yeah. I have ever seen. When he yeah. popped up in that, uh, like, comedy show on, like, Catastrophe, the Rob Delaney and oh. Sharon Horgan show that's on, I guess, BBC or something like that, or ITV. He plays, like, a doctor in it. I'm like, oh, get away from that guy! He's gonna kill you really bad! <laughs> oh, no. And he's just, like, sardonic and nasty in that show. I'm like, this guy, if he's the nicest person in the world in person, I will die of shock because yeah, he's he, an amazing actor, yeah. if that's the case. He probably is really nice. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Because now his face is, like, terrifying to me. <laughs> he was also in Game of Thrones. Of course he was. Yeah. Who is he in Game of Thrones? Uh, Edmure Tully. Of course. Right, right, right. Catelyn's brother. Yes. Who couldn't like the funeral pyre. Yes. Uh-huh. What, a, what a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> you did a bad job of arching there. <laughs> anyway, we've gone all over the map, just like our heroes in our... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm You're not to, sorry. Trying to shoehorn that in. I don't know. I think we probably covered a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, are there any things that you're reading right now that you're really into? Um, I've been struggling through um, uh, the third book in a series that you got me onto. Uh, the first one was excellent. It was called Poison Study by yeah. Maria Snyder. And this is one that I literally just walked into the library and was like, I need something to read. That looks neat. Yeah. And it was really good. And it was like a really... And the, it was another one of like a capable... Like just... Maybe if anybody, if anybody's listening to this, please like send me an email with books that have like a capable, impressive woman at the lead who has cool adventures and stuff. Cause I'm really a hundred percent invested in that. I'm very interested in seeing that. Um, was it Seahags podcast at gmail.com? Yep. I would desperately like more of those kinds of books. Uh, cause this one, that one features, uh, a gal who's like, uh, in a dungeon or something and she's awaiting execution for a murder and then she's dragged out into the light and then offered an opportunity to potentially survive for at least a limited period of time by becoming a uh, military commander's poison test- tester. And so she like goes through this major training and I love a training montage yeah, in a book or in a movie. Totally. I just love like seeing people learn things and like get better at stuff and she gets really good at tasting poison and like in food. Like in she's food. a food taster, yeah. Yeah, she doesn't just like taste poison for fun. <laughs> she's <laughs> looking to find poison. Uh, and uh, so I loved the first book. And then she made a sequel and the second one's pretty good. And this third one is just confusing. It just, it reads like a fan fiction. It's like she really mm. tried to bang it out super quick or something. It's There's no nuance in it. It's just like, 
it's a little clumsy. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a bummer. But I'm I'm kind of like I'm trying to debate rather because I'm about halfway through the book now. I'm like, do I want to finish it? Because I'm not reading anything else. I used to always, always, always finish books, right. and it was not until like the last couple of years that I'm like, I can just stop. See, this is an interesting track. I think like the fact that we feel like we have we owe it to the book to finish it. Yeah. Or something, or that we it's an accomplishment to finish a book, and so we ergo we must do that all the time. Or just to be like, give it a chance. Like maybe it's he's, bad now. He's, he's such a nice book. He wants to get to know him. Just see where it goes, and it could turn out to be really good, you yeah. know. But it's like you just want to finish it. So I just but want to be done. But lately, yeah, I've just been like, ah, oh, this isn't doing it for me. I can just put it away. Yeah. So that's been kind of a nice gift that I've given myself. Oh yeah. And the same with like any TV shows or like I used to, yeah, be very much a completist, and now I don't really. Yeah. Put that much pressure on myself. Well, yeah, so now I'm, I'm feeling like I don't need to see the second to last episode of Outlander. I can just watch the last one and, like, see all of the aftermath of everything mm-hmm. that happened and be fine with that. Because I really, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm too empathetic or something. Mm-hmm. And I can't watch those things without just, like, feeling it way too much. Mm-hmm. Same thing with secondhand embarrassment, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't deal with that stuff. It's just so, it's full body reaction. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, you know, I can't go to see a horror movie or something like that, you yeah. know? You want to go see It Follows, Katie? Like, fuck, no, I don't. I don't care if it's the best horror movie of the last year. I will shit myself. <laughs> I won't literally shit myself. I'll just, but I'll do that to get out of watching the rest of the movie. Oh, <laughs> I'm so scared. Just poop. <laughs> um, I've been reading a bunch of different stuff because I've been trying to, like, expand my scope. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally I'm sort of an author completist, I guess. Is like sure. I get into an author and then I just read everything by them and I request everything from them so I, like I've read all especially in terms of like pulpy murder mystery stuff all of Jonathan Kellerman's stuff with mm-hmm. Alex Delaware and Milo Sturgis like I really like those characters he dates an awesome luthier lady and nice yeah and they have a cute little French bulldog named Blanche and <laughs> oh my god that's really um, cute. I read not all of the Ian Rankin um, John Rebus books but when I like came back from Edinburgh I'm like I'm gonna read these books because they talk about Edinburgh and he lives like, literally, Rebus's address was where I lived as well in Edinburgh, so it was kind of neat. Um, and then... That makes a book fun. Yeah. And then I've definitely read, like, what other authors was I super into? Um, Dick Francis. Sure. He, like, all of his horse mystery. Horse Because <laughs> he used to be a jockey, so, like, every single book oh, is God. a different... It's a different character, so it's not like an ongoing series. Right. But the essential qualities of that lead character guy are always the same. So okay. it's like you think that it's probably based on him. And if so, like he was such a nice guy. <laughs> I'm a small man on a horse. I am also a small man on a horse. <laughs> Our experiences are very similar. But it's always like little like sort of small town murder mystery type stuff. Um, And yeah, just lots and lots of different series of things like that Mm. that I've read. So I've been trying to branch out away from like crime procedural type stuff. A point, just Mm -hmm. a a question more than anything else. Are all of those authors part of the fictional poker circle from Castle that that the main character is in? Because I haven't touched that show in years, but... Mm. No, I I think that was like Jonathan Franzen and some... Or no, I don't know. I think, I feel like Kellerman was part of it. He might have been. Yeah. James Patterson was Oh, one yeah, of them. yeah, definitely it was James Patterson who yeah. was in it. Kellerman Patterson sounds yeah. the same to me. I definitely, I remember that scene and it was very funny at the time because <laughs> I was reading a lot of those books. Like, yeah, just any kind of murder, mystery type, crime procedural stuff I really got Did into. Did you read the Scarpettas from, um, what's her face? That's terrible. Uh, not the letter lady. <laughs> it's not uh, Sue Grafton. Patricia something. Patricia Cornwell, thank you. 
Um, I didn't, and I, I know that she writes so much stuff, so that would be another person that I could get into. Sure. I picked up one of hers at a used bookstore, haven't even touched it yet. I read, I think, like, the first ten or something, and I loved mm-hmm. them, and then they started to get weird. Mm-hmm. It always, whenever a voice, like, shifts a lot from an author, like, the books actually literally went from, like, first person to third person. Oh. Which was so jarring. That is. Because I was really enjoying, like, the first person narrative. So, it cool. was like... Yeah, but yeah, detectives and pr- the p- pr- like the predictability of a crime procedural is very soothing yeah. in some oh, ways. Oh, Kathy Reichs, I've read all of her like Bones books, and I have like an inside joke with Ed because we've both read all of them, and I think I've shared this with you, Katie, where it's like the Temperance Brennan character rolls her eyes at everybody, and she has like so many different synonyms for describing eye rolls. So our favorite one is an occipital roll of Olympic proportions. Wow. <laughs> so pretentious. That is so pretentious. <laughs> she sounds like a real peach, Miss Temperance Brennan. I don't know. I like the show because it's like younger her, but in the books it's like she's between North Carolina and Montreal, so there's lots of cool stuff in there, and like I like all the sort of procedural forensic stuff. I love that shit. You know, but just her character is really annoying, so I just kind of had to stop reading it. <laughs> well, in the show, I don't. I only watched a few episodes of it, but my parents were really into it. They, like, really make her pretty explicitly, like, uh, on the autism spectrum. Yep, definitely. Is she is that the same in the book? No, or? not at all. Okay. I think that's an interesting, more interesting way of framing it. It makes it seem less like she's an asshole and more like she just has a really specific way that her brain works mm-hmm. and how she interacts yeah. with people. I've not really read the books with that framing maybe if I but I it wasn't explicit anyway at all yeah um but in trying to like expand away from like the procedural genre I've been like totally diving into all these books of like the best reads you know goodreads type stuff for like you know Wab Canoe's big list of books Mm -hmm. like that he would recommend for like the best Canadian literature lists of like women of color writers and especially like women of color sci-fi so I started reading Octavia Butler Octavia Butler and I read this like xenogenesis book where it's like aliens that save a few humans from the earth being destructive and they're trying to breed out hierarchicalness okay from humans because it's like that's what destroyed you guys is being really like competitive and hierarchical and you blew up the earth basically so we're trying to like retrain a few of you to like be better and I haven't been able to find the next few books in the series yet but I got really into it and again that was like pretty erotic like with alien sex stuff which I didn't think I would be interested in but then it was very intriguing now I'm reading another one of Octavia Butler's called Kindred where it's like a woman from the 60s gets pulled back in time to yeah to like um like the south during slavery oh, basically shit. and that's not my shit yeah i've just started <laughs> reading it so i'm curious to see what's going to happen and i've got all these other books that are like coming my way that i've requested from the library thanks we'll libraries yeah thank you libraries and librarians all around the world <laughs> um i've been octavia butler's been on my list for a super super long time i uh I am very fussy when it comes to like sci-fi fantasy like genre stuff um i read mostly like not even pop lit but like uh like atwood type mm-hmm. books like where it's like complicated women stories mm-hmm. kind of um but or even just yeah no like it's contemporary fiction basically yeah. is the stuff that i really enjoy most it's, if we're talking purely about enjoyment which we were uh, the that's the kind of stuff that i enjoy the most so like um uh, oh stuff that would have ended up on an oprah's book club list a long time yeah. ago like i'd eat that shit up it's great like poisonwood bible please i love it it's great <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. They're not coming to me. The Red right Tent. Now. Oh, The Red Tent is so good. I actually just read that for the first time this year. I haven't I read it. 
fucking loved it. You would love it. I know that I would. It's, it's on my like it's written on my list. for you. But yeah, no, Octavia Butler. So I've been really trying to like like you trying to expand my horizons and get more into science fiction because I do really like sci-fi television and mm-hmm. films and stuff. So I would figure that I would like the books too. So I Octavia, usually find the books really they're sometimes too dense. Yeah, and like inaccessible. And then so now I'm wondering like if I can get to it through like female writers and have more female protagonists sure, that I could then yeah. do that self-insert thing. Totally. There's um there, there's a book series that I started. I read the first book in the trilogy. It is by um, Anne Leckie. L-E-C-K-I-E uh, and she has written this series called the um, oh, what is, I don't know what the series is called but the first book in the in the series is called Ancillary Justice mm-hmm. and the premise is that uh, the main character is a um, she's basically a ship <laughs> she's like a, a spaceship cool uh, an like- AI on a spaceship who eh, originally controlled all of these ancillaries which are basically like human shells so they're human bodies with the brain stuff kind of deleted, like memories and stuff are just gone, and they the AI kind of goes into the brain and stuff. And so all of the AI, um, all of the ancillaries have connections to the whole brain, but when one is on, like, a world, the ship gets blown up, basically, and so mm-hmm. the AI is only located in one, like, human body. And so it's her, like, trying to get through. And the really fascinating oh. thing is that the default gender pronoun is she, in this like she and her everybody is like just instantly she heard uh and so you don't know what the gender or sex of any of the characters are until like you get things filled in or like people who are from different worlds are like oh he and like i I had to adjust to this because this was odd to me because everybody is she on my world and whatnot so it was just a very interesting way to sort of like decenter masculinity as Mm -hmm. a default um, and it doesn't even make, it certainly doesn't make femininity a default, but it's just, it's just like a degendered world in a lot of ways. And it's just not an important thing there. And that was just, it takes your, your brain a long time to catch up and to figure out who's being talked about. And I really enjoyed that for that. For That's that. Pretty and it neat. also was just very engaging. It's a very interesting and unique book. And I'm really looking forward to reading the other two. Cool. In the series, so. Well, I'm going to take that as a recommendation. I <laughs> so. absolutely think you should. And that, that came from me from some of my friends in the UK who are really big, um, who are really big readers. So uh, just getting that recommendation and going like, well, I have to obviously read it because they're new friends and I want them to like me. So, <laughs> so, so I'll read this book. This is not that was the beginning part where it's like you're reading it to impress somebody, but yep. then it turns into pleasure. I hope. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. Wonderful. I mean, I, 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 if I respect somebody, I just kind of assume I'm going to enjoy anything that they tell me to read because if they know me at all, they know what I'm going to like. Yeah. So, and I really, really enjoyed that. And um, but, but for sci-fi, the one thing that it really kind of finally got me into reading it is a Canadian sci-fi author, Nebula Award winner, Hugo Award winner. <laughs> he's here today. No, he's not. <laughs> Robert J. Sawyer. Oh, okay. Who thought is, you were going to say Spider Robinson. Uh, he's not here today either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually haven't read any Spider Robinson books. And I. I also have only read, like, one William Gibson novel. Yeah. You know? Sorry, I'm a bad Vancouver nerd. I used to live in Spider Robinson's old house. I remember that. And we used to get his mail, and then one day he was signing... Uh, books at White Dwarf Books, which is like <laughs> one of the sci-fi bookshops in Vancouver, and we just took him a stack of his mail, and we're like, we hope some royalty checks are in there, sir, and he was like, thanks, these are all bills. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's super funny. Um, so Robert J. Sawyer, I don't remember, oh, I do remember, actually, it's some guy I'm not friends with anymore, I never was really good friends with him, he was just a Facebook friend who set up a bicycle for me, basically, one time, huh. and he was like, maybe you'll enjoy these books if you're looking for recommendations, so I try- I checked out this um, and this connects back to the caveman sex books because I will read anything that has 
anything to do with Neanderthals, especially if it's a fictionalized version. I fucking love historical fiction. I love revisionist history. I love parallel universe theory. Mm -hmm. And this has it all. I feel like I'm Stefan, you know, like (laughs) this book has everything. (laughs) Neanderthals, quantum computing, parallel universes, a terribly written female character who craves Miss Vicky's chips all the time. <laughs> it's so specifically Canadian. Wow. <laughs> it is such a specifically Canadian book. So the book, the series is called The Neanderthal Parallax, and the first book <laughs> is called Hominids, uh, the next book is called Humans, and the last book is called Hybrids. Mm. Um, and they are cheesy as hell when you look at the character interactions. Like, I feel like this guy's never met a person in his life. Oh, no. Because um, he just writes about people in such a way that was... It's like, I am not a robot with human skin. I am a human like you. <laughs> <laughs> so he over-describes a lot of really banal things about female characters because I don't feel like he identifies with them super clearly. So he talks about, like, this woman scientist who's... You know, she's so tired at the end of her research day, so she walks to the vending machine, puts in her loony and quarter, and gets a bag of Miss Vicky's malt vinegar and salt chips. Oh, Jesus. It's her guilty pleasure. She loves it so much. And she's like, and that's why I can't lose these last ten pounds. Oh, God. Like, fuck, right? <laughs> but it also posits that, you know, there's a parallel universe running alongside us where um, Neanderthals became the dominant human type species. Um, And then there's like a hole between these two worlds in the uh, Sudbury nickel mine. Oh my god. Where they're so uh, doing where they're Canadian. doing neutrino research, which is a it's a real place. Like there's the nickel mine has also like this heavy water tank where they uh, use it to detect, you know, neutrinos from the sun and stuff. I'm not like a big physicist or uh, astrophysicist or anything, but like it's really fascinating this and is then small one. Just a, just a tiny little just a tiny little one. Um, and so basically, like, this nickel mine ends up having, like, this portal that's made stable between these two worlds, and they start, like, communicating back oh, and ne- forth. And in this Neanderthal world, you know, um, everybody's on a breeding cycle. Like, nobody is just having sex willy-nilly. Everybody kind of has, like, an implant that stops them from getting pregnant or, like, impregnating somebody else. And only every ten years do people, like, like utilize their fecundity. <laughs> ocular rolling what like why there's always such a heavily charged element in so many of these books about breeding and reproduction well, and sex in like. this in this one it's purely that they the, their science is so like well accepted and stuff that they have pr- projected that if there are too many people like they're out of resources and they did that oh. before they had well, needed I to mean, get into like true eugenics or like killing anybody it's that's just like true. it's just like okay we really need to regulate this and make sure that we keep our population very small so like on this Neanderthal world there's only like 20 million people people in total instead of 7 billion, right? So they basically, because, and it's all of these things like, oh, because Neanderthals have huge noses and like these big, um, like olfactory caverns in their brain, in their faces, that they must have an incredible sense of smell. And so they don't use diesel fuel. Like they don't use fossil fuels because it smells too bad to them. Oh, interesting. And all this stuff. And they don't like, they don't have agriculture in the same way. So they have like people, like people who do the hunting for them and they like all have these like vac sealed deer, uh, steaks and stuff in their freezers and and the interesting thing is that mostly um, straight couples like don't live together. Like it, it, people live with the same gender partner, 
Great. And they have, like, a sexual relationship generally, but every 10 years they, like, or they every rarely during, like, non-fertile periods, they, like, will get together with, like, their opposite sex partners and, like, fool around with them and stuff, but otherwise they, like, live in these, like, little gay pair bonds. Aww. It's a really fascinating, like, projection of what society might be, and it's, like, it's super regulated, but it's not, like, dystopic necessarily. It's, like, everybody is doing the things that they want to be doing, but they all just kind of, like, co-agree that this is the way that it should be. So huh. it is a little dystopic, but it's not, like, cruel. You know, nobody's being murdered or anything like yeah. that. So it's really, well, maybe maybe there is a bit of, like, eugenic stuff that's going on. And I, I haven't read the book in a while, but, oh, my God, it was so cool. enjoyable. And it's just, like, the two worlds colliding and, like, having, a like, an implant in their forearms or something that, like, keeps their, uh, their um, stats and stuff regulated. And so, mm. like, you can tell if there's something wrong with you or, like, it translates for you into different languages and stuff. It's just so fucking creative. And all of his books are like that. Robert J. Sawyer, he, he wrote books about... Uh, um, like the importance of empathy and like how we can give universal empathy to everybody. Like, and, wow. um, or what does it mean if we, uh, um, upload our consciousness into robots? Like, what is that going to do to us? And like, what if, you know, we do that to stop ourselves from dying, but then our like fatal illness goes away and we've now have this other copy of ourselves that's a robot. Like, what do we do in that situation? Can both of these creatures live on ah, the same? So it's like that's really, a mind fuck. That's cool. It's, uh, well, I think it's called Mind Scan, actually, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> um, and he did. He, there's like they all have like dumb one one word like frame shift, mind scan, <laughs> uh, rollback, or something like that. Like where everybody experiences a time shift all huh. at once, and they're like, oh, well, what happened now? Like, what happened when we had this time shift? Like, our lives are all different now, and we all have the same experience, but we all experienced it differently. Hmm. It's fucking fascinating. I love his books. Cool. But yeah, you really have to get over the fact that the um, that the characterization is wonky. Mm. You know, it's just not artful, and that he's maybe just not a big people person, but... Yeah, but the actual concepts... Oh my god, the, the concepts like, are... The science is tight. <laughs> you know, it's really enjoyable reading. Cool. Well, I think we've identified some of our favorite things. And so then, yeah, if you guys have any thoughts about uh, books to recommend that would fall into that kind of genre, especially like the survivalisty, strong, like, female, strong female character. character. <laughs> Not to overuse a trope, but... But it's really good. <laughs> we like that. I realized in the Ursula... Um, Le Guin? Not Ursula Le Guin, sorry. Right. Octavia Butler, oh. the Xenogenesis, she also has to, like, learn how to survive in the wilderness because they, like, they train her in this, Shit. like, simulation. I gotta get this book immediately. Yeah. I gotta go to a library right and after we have, shut off the microphone. And they have their relationships for the aliens are three. It's in threes all the time. So there's a male, a female, and a third gender <gasps> that acts as a conduit between the two so that they can reproduce. Live in the dream. I know, right? That's fascinating. So, I gotta get that book. And it, it, like, it feels very 80s in some ways, but like it was really, really good. I don't know why I went to that for the 80s. Just a little Axel F for you. Wonderful. Fantastic. So yeah, well, please send us your book recommendations. And if you have any other, like book club type things. I would like to do another book club segment. Sure, yeah. Book um, club, TV club, movie club. Like, whatever. We love to consume. Yeah. There's, um... Food club. Food club, yes. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about some nonfiction-y stuff maybe another time. Yeah. Because there's some, some good nonfiction. Those are the only books that I keep. I usually right. let my fiction go once I've read it. Oh, yeah. But I have a Got lot my, of... My Brene Browns and my Gabor yep. Mates, yep. all of that stuff. Yeah, we can yeah. definitely do a nonfiction cool. book club, but yeah, we'll definitely revisit once I, because I want to read as many books as I can this year. Yeah, same. So 
Cool. We'll, we'll be able to revisit this later. We'll check in with you guys next time. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for joining us okay, today. Okay, we'll see you next week on Sea Hags. Bye. Bye. Bye.